This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And I give Sam credit, he's playing hurt today. Uh, <laughs> they've, uh, he's, uh, he's medicated his throat as much as possible, but uh, Sam, you are under the weather, so I appreciate you joining me in spite of that. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. You know, you might you might hear some of this going on. This is me getting my SEPA uh, call out. Yeah, and and I will do my best to mute the coughing when it when it happens. <laughs> That's one of the lovely things about doing this show, where we record the podcast and then I come back and have a chance to edit it, is that me blowing my nose or you coughing, you'll never hear that. <laughs> Which there's a surprising amount of. Yes, there is. My I have terrible allergies and I am blowing my nose a lot. And I've told Sam several times that. He and I record uh, – I'm actually at my office at home in Davie and Sam is at the church at Rio Vista Church. And um, we're recording on a system that records on two separate tracks. And so I always have me clean and him clean and then I combine them in the edit later. And so when the noise is only on one end – I can I can do it. So I'm like, if you ever hear me blow my nose, just keep talking because <laughs> I'll make the nose blowing go away. You don't have to worry about anybody else ever hearing that. So, same thing Which is I true. will tell you takes a lot of effort. I, I, when you you're know, in the middle of making a point about salvation and Jesus and you hear an elephant <laughs> horn oh, yeah. so, <laughs> going on. Sorry. But that really does happen. Yeah, it's it good does. Stuff. And uh, and I can do it. Like I said, I do it. I can do it for the well. And I have to do it because if you type on your keyboard, like if you're looking something up or whatever, that comes through on the. I hear you know, and so I'll I take a lot of that out whenever I can. Sometimes I can't. But are you now, Sonar, Are you in the prayer closet again today? I am. I'm in my office. Actually, I didn't even think about it. Really? Because I'm, I'm in a brain fog. I'm as well. not even hearing much hum, and that's excellent. So, yeah, that's great. Well, see, yeah. normally, folks, you don't, I don't understand. hear the hum. Yeah, Sam's office is normally a hotbed of electromagnetic interference. I've, I'm convinced that it's like <laughs> that. At some point, he's going to grow a second head from all of this uh, EMI and RFI. But normally, it introduces a wicked hum on his microphone, and so we try to get him somewhere else. But uh, it sounds clean today, so we're gonna we're gonna trust God that it's going to stay clean, and we're going to go <laughs> forward. Because that's the other thing that gets it is if we get the hum, those are always – so th- yeah, these this, are all – This is the good location for those chipmunk moments too. Yeah, yeah, where where we have a dropout. Because that's really weird too. It's like you'll drop out like a cell phone dropout, but then when it brings you back in, it's like it wants to get you caught up again. So it's like you start talking fast, 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 and it's like – and it brings you back up to normal speed. I'm like that's really weird. <laughs> that's pretty good impersonation yeah, right well, there. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. You know, so this week we're talking about the story of Zacchaeus as found in Luke chapter 19. And one of the things I really love about the story of Zacchaeus, Sam, is how he is the, the sort of the anti, like, like they fit together, like, uh, you know, like almost like a lock and key sort of thing with the rich young ruler. Um, last week we talked about the rich young ruler from Luke 18 and we talked about how you know, he was a ruler, he was rich, he was respected, he'd kept the law, at least as far as he knew and as far as everybody else knew, and yet he was tripped up by his great wealth. When Jesus said, one thing you lack, 
sell all that you have to the poor, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler became sorrowful and walked away because he was very rich. Zacchaeus is like the the uh, antimatter to that. It's like, <laughs> well, he's not young. Um, the scriptures tell us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which would have meant that the, the, the term chief tax collector, by the way, is used only here. He's the only one in the mm-hmm. New Testament that's mentioned. But the idea of a chief tax collector is somebody who he would have been the one that uh, would contract for the sales and customs taxes and hire other collectors. He was the boss of the tax collectors mm-hmm. in Jericho. And Jericho was a place that needed a lot of tax collectors because that was a hub of commerce. It's like it was one of the wealthiest cities in all of Palestine. It was in one of the most mm-hmm. fertile areas of Judea. It had Herod's winter palace. It had a fortress there that Herod had built. And it basically squatted right on a major east-west trade route. Like it was a place – lots of people passing through Jericho doing business. And so Zacchaeus mm-hmm. would have been an important guy. He would have been in charge of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's – so he would not have been young. Um, and he – and. Yes. One of the other things, being a chief tax collector, you don't get there by not giving Rome as much as they possibly could get. And so Zacchaeus would have gotten to this position by showing that he was merciless and right. collecting as much as he possibly could. He had proven himself to the powers that be that he would not show leniency. Um, and so he would have had a reputation not just as being a tax collector, you know, who were, though they were already hated as traitors to Rome. But as like the leader of the hated people, right? Uh, and addition, and then and the next thing is that the rich young ruler was a ruler in in and of himself. Like he had his own authority. He had been given a position of authority. And Zacchaeus, you know, he was like in he was like a ruler because Rome made him one. It's like if you if you didn't do what Zacchaeus said, a Roman soldier would come over and knock on your door. <laughs> That right. wasn't Zacchaeus's authority. That was Rome. You know, it's like he was appropriating using somebody else's authority to back up his stuff. Um, you were saying before we started recording, you were saying one of them was a ruler from God and one was a ruler from man. Is that what you were – or from Rome? Yeah. So so the archon, which is the, the rich young ruler, in all likelihood, that's a religious figure. He's got some sort of a religious title because and when you were in Israel – Rome held most, you know, the political clout. Right. But they delegated to the Sanhedrin, you know, and and other classes that would settle religious matters, which in Israel was all of life essentially, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so he was he was representing, you know, I'm a ruler for the kingdom of our Lord. You know, I'm I'm coming from a, a religious standpoint, where right. Zacchaeus is purely of the world. So you right. have one representing the kingdom of God, power from the kingdom of God, and he walks away from God, ironically. And this Zacchaeus, who is a representative of the kingdoms of this world, Rome. And he is representing that power, and he's going to be the one who we see has a, a much happier ending. Um, I also thought that, to myself I, about the location of this story, which is Jericho, um, mm-hmm. because uh, Jesus uses some language um, that I thought was interesting because when we talked about the Samaritan woman at the well, we talked about how Jesus told his disciples that he had to go through Samaria. It's like mm-hmm. like Jesus had determined in advance before he went to that well, obviously. In other words, it was, it was like, forgive me, folks, if you're not a Calvinist, sorry. He was predestined that <laughs> Jesus was going to go and meet that woman at the well and, 
and that she was going to be converted by that by that meeting. Like that was decided. You know, I'm just going to go there way before that woman or the well or anything else ever existed. Jesus had determined that meeting. And I think this is another one where this was predestined. Like Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must stay mm-hmm. with you tonight. So this was this was part of the plan of Jesus, which means that the the location chosen, Jericho, was also part of that plan. So I mm-hmm. I did a little thinking about what would it have meant that this happened in Jericho. Well, Zacchaeus was notorious because he was a chief tax collector. Like and the fact that a holy man as Jesus was perceived, you know, a rabbi, a teacher, the fact that he was going to come in and be a guest of somebody who was a notorious bad guy sinner like Zacchaeus would have started – the tongues would be wagging is what I'm saying. People would be talking about it and it tells us that the people were grumbling. And the fact that it was in Jericho means people were passing through Jericho all the time. Jericho in a mm-hmm. sense was a megaphone for this. It's like Jesus knew – that whatever he did with Zacchaeus in Jericho would be a story that spread quickly and to some distance. He wanted this to get out. He wanted people to know what he was going to do with Zacchaeus in Jericho, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's and it's not just, you know, all the international trade that comes through Jericho, but this is also you know, he's coming into Jerusalem for Passover, which right. means that during this, you know, leading into Holy Week, every Jew that lived way to the north in Galilee would travel to the east side of the Jordan, come down, and then they would go through Jericho on the way up to Jerusalem. Right. And if you open up your Psalms, there's Psalms 120 to 134. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And part of the reason is, is when they got to Jericho, which is pretty much, you know, the lowest spot on the surface of the earth that's not underwater, uh, right by the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on the surface of the earth, everything is up. They go up, you know, about a mile in elevation on their way up to Jerusalem. Then they go up the steps of the temple mount and then up the steps to the temple. And so you're constantly ascending. You're going up and they would sing these psalms. And so – Everybody kind of goes through Jericho as the checkpoint on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So he's getting all sorts of Gentiles, all sorts of Jews that are going to Jerusalem for the Passover. It would have been tremendously crowded in Jericho at this point. And so he's definitely making a statement. I I don't doubt that at all. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the text. Uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1 says, he entered Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I, I want to stop for a second here and and talk about one other thing that I think ties back to last week. Uh, you and I talked about that just before the the uh, conversation between Jesus and the rich ruler last week, there was mm-hmm. a conversation between Jesus and his disciples about uh, children. And it says mm-hmm. that they were bringing even infants to him so that he might touch them to bless them. Um, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. And Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child 
shall not enter it. And, and we talked a little bit about what childlike faith was. We talked about um, the fact that when a child comes to you, when your son comes to you with a request or your daughter or when my kids did when they were young, they didn't come to us saying that they were going to help. <laughs> it's like, it's like, Dad, I've got this proposal. You do 50% and I'll, they come to us with their need, with their request. They need something. Mm-hmm. And, and the second part of it is they come with complete reliance and belief that we can do it, that we can get it for them. It's like they come to us for help or a need or a want, believing that we can supply that. And that the definition of childlike faith is, you you come empty handed. It's like they they come with their needs, with their with their requests, and they come with an expectation that you can meet them. It's kind of the unique nature of childlike faith. And I thought it was cute to me how Zacchaeus here does number one what was a very undignified thing. People back mm-hmm. then would have pointed at Zacchaeus climbing a tree and said, "What in the world?" Um, it would have, they would have mocked him for climbing the tree, but it's also the kind of thing that a child does. And I don't know, you know, I'm probably reading into much. Once again, this is the Mark Lautenschlager read between the lines translation. I'm sorry, but as I looked at that, I went. Zacchaeus did a childlike thing. It's like he mm-hmm. ran and climbed a tree. Yeah. In Who order to trees? see Jesus. No, I mean, yeah. Adults ad- don't do that. Even still to this day, you talk about someone climbing a tree. You're imagining a kid. So. Right. It's, and it's not just that, but he's described as being very little in stature. So Luke, I, I have no doubt that he is inviting you to pull that together in your mind. He yeah. is acting like a child. Right. And he doesn't care. Like his, he, it's, it's like he's shameless because in the ancient culture, one of the things that I think the readers back then would have seen is that when you run, you know, back then they would wear long robes that would go all the way down to their ankles. Right. And so they weren't, they weren't wide enough at the bottom for you to have a full stride. And so that if, if you were ever running, you would have to pull up your robes ah. way up, way up. Gird up right? your loins, right? Yeah, this is you the girding gird up, up of your loins. loins. Okay, there Just we go. right. So what would happen is he's running with this you know, robe pulled up to where essentially his underwear or his if he's wearing some kind of undergarment is there. And then he's climbing a tree, so he's giving everybody, you know, the kind of a show yeah. of of what's underneath these girded up robes. And for a grown man, one to run would have been humiliating. But then to sh- and to show his legs, but then to climb a tree to where everybody else that's looking up is going, "Oh, come on, Zacchaeus!" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he is, but he doesn't care. Like yeah. he is, he's law, he's. He's willing to endure the shame for the chance at getting near to Jesus, yeah. which is pretty remarkable. It shows you how desperate he is, you know, because you can imagine, and of course, we're left to imagine, you know, when the rich young ruler comes, he's got all this stuff, and he's got health, and he's got youth, and he's got power, and he's got wealth, and he's got all these things going for him, a moral life, and and he shows up, and he's empty because he comes to Jesus and says, man, what do I have to do to feel etern- to, to get eternal life? And I think Zacchaeus has all of that same thing. This isn't just some random guy. You got to imagine if you're a tax collector and you operate based on fear, right? Because, you know, people give you the money because they believe that you're dangerous if they don't give to you. You know, he's got a reputation to protect. He can't be ridiculed. He's got to, he's got to come across powerful. He's got to protect himself in the eyes of Rome. You know, he can't be somebody who's, you know, object of ridicule. Otherwise, Rome might remove him. 
And in this moment, he's taking all of that, you know, reputation, all of it, and he is squandering it at the chance to be near Jesus. But right. he has that same desperation that you find in the rich young ruler. Man, I've got lots of money coming in. I've got the position that lots of people, you know, paid lots of money to try to get. And now I'm the chief of these guys, and something's wrong. I feel empty. I need to get near Jesus. Right. And that was a thing that that uh, uh, we can say about Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus had figured out who had the answer for him. I think that's mm-hmm. true. Um, he needed to. He wanted to get to Jesus, and that's the. You know, that's one of the things that we've talked about is that you know the response of somebody whose heart has been changed by God. This response of the Christian of the believer is when we know that we've messed up. We don't want to hide from it's like Jesus is the first person you want to be you want to run to. It's like you know that's where forgiveness is going to be found. You know that's mm-hmm. where you're going to be received and 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 you're going to find grace and you're going to find mercy. You know, if you if you have this this feeling of like I've messed up, I'd better hide from God. And you're not understanding God very well. It's like God is like, you know, if you if what you have is this feeling of doom because you feel despair like you've just messed up too bad, it's like to me, come to me. That's the place yeah. you need to be. And Zacchaeus, I think, you know, he he had to understand the moral bankruptcy of his state and he knew he needed to get near Jesus. He needed to get to Jesus. Uh, and that's powerful. That's uh, a really mm-hmm. powerful statement. Um, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention about this. Luke records that he was small in stature. And I know that Luke is telling us that to say why he couldn't see over the crowd and why he climbed the tree and all that sort of stuff. But it's something else for us to think about as we have to think about the mindset of this man, Zacchaeus. In order to be – by you know by ancient Mediterranean standards, you know the average height of people back then – was in the for men now would have been you know five three to five six or seven that would have been typical height range for men so it's quite probable I would say that for Zacchaeus to be small in stature he would be like less than five feet tall mm-hmm. he would have been quite small and one of the things that we know about that culture is how they looked up to tall people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the you know the thing with Saul in the Old Testament when Saul was made king of Israel. They all looked up. Why did they? Yes, he's, he's obviously the taller. king. He's yeah. look how tall he is. So Zacchaeus, on top of everything else, had no doubt been subjected to ridicule like his entire life, or certainly as a grown man, um, and mm. that would have made him, you know, even more prickly to deal with. I'm you know, <laughs> it's like. Yeah, yeah, the Napoleon hear, complex. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So, um, I think we get a whole lot of of the makeup of Zacchaeus just from these first couple of sentences. The chief tax collector, short in stature. You know, we we understand the number of things about him, and yet what we see is this is a guy who is absolutely desperate to get to Jesus. It's like I want to be with Jesus, and he knows. By the way, when he when he does the move that he does. It's 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 like he's admitting. I know there's no way that the crowds are going to let me to the front. Yeah, like I have to run ahead of everybody, climb a sycamore tree because I know if I go and I was like, "Can I? Excuse me, excuse me." Nobody's going to let me in because he's he's hated. 
it's probably actually dangerous for him to be out among the people, honestly. He would have been so hated. In the study notes, um, I, what I said was, so Zacchaeus knew exactly where Jesus would be because they knew when Jesus was coming into Jericho. But he was too short to see over the people and no doubt too savvy to try and muscle his way to the front of the line. <laughs> um, he, you know, there was just no way that they were going to part like the Red Sea for Zacchaeus by himself. Now, if Zacchaeus had brought a bunch of Roman soldiers, but that, but he didn't because this was about Zacchaeus and his heart. And he wasn't, this didn't have anything to do with Rome, didn't mm-hmm. have anything to do with tax collecting. And this had to do with he knew that Jesus was the one he needed to see. And to and to be near and to and to reach him. Um, so then, what we have in verse five is, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him. It says joyfully. Um, something to point out here is that this is where it says, "I must stay at your house today." Like this was very purposeful on the Mm -hmm. part of Jesus. And when Jesus said those words to him, I must stay at your house today, the response from Zacchaeus was to hurry, to climb down (laughs) quickly from the tree and to receive him with great joy, receive him joyfully. Um, I think right there, what I can take from that right there is there's the difference between Zacchaeus and the rich ruler. The Mm -hmm. rich ruler came to Jesus with this good teacher, help me unravel this this puzzle. And Zacchaeus had already decided he knew who the answer was. He knew where the answer was. It's like he had he was like when Jesus said, I must stay with you today, Zacchaeus was like, that is the greatest thing I could hear. That is the best news I could hear. You're the guy that can fix this. I know that. And you're gonna come to my house. I can't wait for this. It's like he's out of the tree in a flash and receives him joyfully. Um I'm going to say that verse makes me smile. Because, yeah, me too. You know, because that is the sign of a guy whose heart is so ready to meet the Lord. <laughs> but the the other part of this that I that I love is is not just Zacchaeus' response, but Jesus is walking into a town. Crowds are overwhelming. If there's one thing that this town agrees on, it's that they hate Zacchaeus. Right. <laughs> I mean, they hate this guy. And they're very curious about Jesus. Everybody and, wanted to see yeah, this guy. That's absolutely. He's he's proven himself at least a prophet. He's doing some crazy miracles that are starting to, you know, word of them is going everywhere. And Jesus comes in and it's like, you know, he does this just because he's so good and so kind. He gets in front of the person that is the farthest outcast. And it's like he's going to invite the arrows by showing love to the outcast. Uh, you know, it's like he's almost huddling over Zacchaeus when he gets there, and he do, he says, "I must stay at your house today." What what he's saying is, there is a divine decree from my Father that you are mm-hmm. special, mm-hmm. and that you you know you've been positioning yourself along the road to find where I am, like. I want you to know I'm on my way here to find you, you know, right. like I am pursuing you and I'm going to stay at your house today, which in the first century, you know, we think of that as hospitality. In the first century, that is a – it's like a public statement of identifying with someone. And so when he says, I must stay at your house today, he says, Zacchaeus, I want to be your friend. Mm. You're you're with me. Wow. And the whole city who hates Zacchaeus – and is very curious and interested in Jesus, 
now is in a quandary because Jesus has just aligned himself with the most hated guy in the city, right? <laughs> which makes them go, what do we do with Jesus? Right. Yeah, there were two things that you just didn't do if you were if you wanted to be considered a, an upright and honest person is you didn't go into the house of a sinner like Zacchaeus mm-hmm. as a guest, and the other thing was that you didn't eat with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was when I was doing some background reading on this, I, it just had never. I guess it had never occurred to me before why that the eating thing was a big deal, but it turns out that the you know the Pharisees, who were these scrupulously honest, like law keepers to the extreme, they would tithe. <laughs> Remember that where, where Jesus says, "You tithe on your mint and dill." It's like you tithe <laughs> on the seasonings you you get. They would give a tenth of their food also as part of an offering, and they made a big deal about that. How you know that meant that the rest of the food was okay for them to eat because they'd given God His cut, you know, and. The Pharisees would condemn something like this because, well, has this man tithed on his food? Are maybe maybe they're eating food that belongs to God? That it was a that the reason why they reacted so strongly to the eating with them part is that they couldn't be sure that the food had been properly tithed upon. And that made me laugh. I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, <clears throat> and and it, you know, and we know what Jesus thought about it because, like I said, he. He kind of mocked the Pharisees by saying, you know, you tithe of your mint and dill, but your heart's all wrong. It's like you just <laughs> uh, you just really don't get the point here. Um, but it tells us what the crowd's reaction was. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Um, <laughs> I look at that and I think to myself, somebody who would say that is somebody that really honestly doesn't like they had really paid no attention to what Jesus had been doing is mm-hmm. that Jesus entire ministry had been reaching out to the people who were the least who were the left out we use the least and the left out all the time but that's who they were they were the lowest members of society they were the ones that were the outcasts he went to the to the lame and to the blind and to the beggars he went to the people who were mourning he went to people who were sick it's like he was someone who was – if Zacchaeus was notorious for taking too much money from you, Jesus should have been notorious to these people for reaching out to guys just like Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. And yet they obviously expected him to do something else. They're like, well, we figured he'd show up and come in and do parlor tricks for us. That, by the way, is the <laughs> thing I think – that's the thing I think the people wanted most from Jesus is they wanted Jesus to come in and be like, okay, okay. Miracle boy, perform for us. Do 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 something for us. Can you make some wine or uh, you know do something interesting? You know they were they were looking for a sign out of Jesus. They didn't want Jesus for himself mm-hmm. or his message. They wanted him to entertain them. Yeah. Again, and you I see think. that again and again. I mean, Herod when he calls him is like, oh, I've been looking forward to this. You know, do do some magic for me. You yeah, know, perform some miracles. And when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, you know, one of the things that he talks about is he's like, you know, why did you come here? Did you come here to be fed with bread that's going to leave you hungry for tomorrow? Or do you understand that I'm the bread of life? Right. And the reality was the people were coming because they wanted him to do some miracles that served their interests. Mm-hmm. They were not at all interested in yeah. Jesus. And here he's, you know, he's coming to Zacchaeus and he's he's – you know, this guy that's 
empty, who knows that he's done a lot of bad things and he has, you know, not treated people well. And he's his wealth is probably largely, you know, not Ill, so great. Yeah, ill-gotten gain, we would say. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're exactly who I was sent to Jericho to find. Right. You know, my father sent me here for you. Right. And you got to like when it says he hurried and came down and like you, you got. It's probably the first time Zacchaeus has heard something like that, and for as long as he's been a tax collector, yeah, you know, ever. he's always felt like there's no place for him in the kingdom of God. There's no place for him in the heart of God. And to hear, you know, in the middle of all these moralists who are, you know, when they say, oh, my gosh, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, it shows you what they think of themselves. Like, they're self-righteous. They don't see themselves as being able to relate to somebody who falls short, which shows you that they're – this is a city filled with very arrogant religious people. Right. And Jesus shows up and says, "Uh, you, Zacchaeus, you're the reason I came here. You come down. We're going to have dinner. All these other people, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm having dinner with you, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it would have shocked them. Yeah. And he's constantly doing this. At some point, you kind of got to wonder, like, how do you not see this? Like, why does this keep shocking you? God is always chasing the person who's left out, always right. the widow, always the orphan, always the foreigner, always the poor, always those that are that are immoral and unworthy and recognize it, humble in their own sight. Like that is the story throughout the entirety of the scriptures, and yet we're continually surprised that he goes after immoral people. Right. You know, and I wanted to, since you mentioned it, um, just maybe reflect on for a minute about the crowd, about the people that were there. Um, They were a self righteous people, and I think that that today in our modern human thinking, I've never met anyone who, if I would say the statement. Hey, you know what? Nobody's perfect. I've never met anyone who would disagree with that, who would say, mm-hmm. well, no, I am. You know, it just doesn't happen. You know, One of the things that people are very quick to agree with is nobody's perfect. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily bad. It's kind of a starting point. But the gap between nobody's perfect and what do I really think of myself isn't really where it what it should be. It's like – they um, we go from well nobody's perfect but I'm but I'm yeah I'm mostly okay I I do the best I can I I try to do I try to be kind to people I, I you know I try not to I try not to you know I don't steal anything that I that I know of I mean I want I might have taken a pencil from work you know I I I try not to be I mean I did cut in front of a guy in line the other day you know so you, they start coming up with these minor infractions and they start. Um, and and they're trying to to grade themselves on a curve. We you and mm-hmm. I have talked about this a lot. People want to see themselves as they want to feel good about themselves. And I don't know that that's all that different between the way those people were. You know, when we talk about them as being a self righteous people who grumbled because Jesus wanted to go hang out with a sinner. You know, and so I want you to imagine for a minute that there's somebody that you were really excited to meet. Like you really thought that this person was coming for for you, for whoever, whatever, whatever it is. It, it, this a, a great athlete, and you're a sports fan, big fan of the team, um, whatever it is. You know, these people thought Jesus was one of us. You know, he's coming to hang out with us, the good Jews. He's going to come here, and he's going to want to be with us, right? He says, mm-hmm. you know. 
so you're imagining your hero shows up and as he's coming in, he sees the parking lot attendant or he sees the guy that's cleaning the bathroom mm-hmm. and he walks over and he says, Tom, how you doing, bud? I've come to see you. And he puts his arm around him and they walk off and you're standing there like, what? <laughs> what? I thought you'd be signing autographs with us. You know, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I don't think that we're all that far from the crowd is what I'm saying. I don't think that we're all that far from where they were back then. They had an expectation that Jesus was going to come and hang out with them because why wouldn't he? Mm-hmm. And when he didn't, it's like all of a sudden they had to like face up to the fact that, wait a minute, maybe we're not as perfect and cool and desirable as we thought we were. Mm-hmm. Um Jesus spent lots of time with people that were broadly considered undesirables. And, yeah. you know, I think if, if you were to imagine our context, you know, when you walk into the church, who are, who are the people that are broadly considered undesirables? And I mean, you can, you can make your list. You know, he probably would be, you know, he always accepts invitations from anyone. He'll, he'll dine with a Pharisee. He'll dine with a rich person. That's true. But you find his heart takes him into the poor communities and places where people are in poverty and, and great need and um, struggling. And that's always a gut check because I like staying comfortable with my my kind of person, you know, right. people that I have more in common with. And, you know, Jesus Jesus was in the slums a lot yeah. of times. You know, he, that, he sought people out that were more in that ilk. And I think that's, you know, that's a gut check for yeah. us, you know. Because it's not it's not that you have to be a homeless person before Jesus is interested in you. <laughs> right. And that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that if you think that Jesus should be interested in you because you're such a basically good person, then you're really not ready to meet him. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the, the, the place yeah. where we start from meeting him is to think that there's nobody but Jesus that can that I I need Jesus. That's it. Period. That's like I need Jesus. Whatever you know, wherever you see yourself on the scale of good to bad, you know, to understand that I cannot deal with what's missing. I can't supply this emptiness. I can't fix myself. I can't be good enough. I can't, you know, it's like I'm literally coming apart at the seams here. And maybe you're not that desperate, but you have that understanding that that you're not the answer, and he is. Yeah. If you think that he should want to hang out with you, Zacchaeus was like, I just want to get to you. And when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I've come to be with you, Zacchaeus was like, <laughs> oh, I can't believe that. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt that he was like ready to throw himself at the feet of Jesus if need be. And for Jesus to come and say, no, Zacchaeus, you know, head up. I've come to be with you. It's like that at that moment had to fill him, Sam, with so much hope. It's like that was just like the clouds were opened up and the angels were singing. And that's just such a cool moment for me to look at that and say, that's a life that is about to change in a big way. Yeah, um, and it's changed because he's amazed by grace. Yeah, you know, and yeah. you know, like you want me, and I think that's one of the things that I just I wish I could make my sinful, fleshly, selfish heart more grateful and in awe of that that God wants me, someone like me, that He would 
put my price tag at the cross, that's, that should be absolutely stunning. But so quickly, so many of us that are in religious circles get used to that idea, and grace ceases, ceases to be amazing. And when it ceases to be amazing and we find ourselves you know, kind of thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah. It's at that point, it's at that moment that Jesus isn't so precious and things start to fall apart because he's not worth yielding your entire life to. Um, You know, and it's like Jesus says, you know, you lack one thing. He said that to the rich young ruler. Um, Well, Zacchaeus so treasures this one thing, (laughs) yeah, you know, that that he's radically giving himself to the Lord here. Well, and let's just let – because – we're just about to see what he does here, which is, you know, Zacchaeus knew the thing that he lacked was Jesus. And that money thing, he wants to get that out of the way right up front. <laughs> Verse 8, it's like – and in my mind, I picture Zacchaeus getting everybody into the house, doing the, you know, doing the foot washing, doing the ritual stuff. You know, all the things that you did in that culture when you brought somebody in as a guest, you know, you offer them whatever it is, you know. Here, some oil for your hair, a little rope, whatever they do. They get him in, he gets him settled, and then Zacchaeus is like, I'm picturing him almost hopping from one foot to the other. Like he just can't wait for that moment when all of the introductions are over and he can stand up. And it says, verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. The the rich ruler, Jesus had to like pull yeah. it out of him. It's like he's like, well, you know the commandments, and the rich ruler is like, yeah, and I've kept them all. And Jesus is like, oh, well, then just one thing you lack, and he then he gives him the thing about sell all that you have, come and follow me. Zacchaeus didn't need to be asked a question. Jesus, didn't, there was Zacchaeus is like standing up, going, Lord, this money it doesn't mean anything. I'm going to give half of it away right now. I'm telling you, I'm giving half of it away, and any of it that I shouldn't have had, I'm giving it back fourfold. Yeah, this is, this is a guy who is bursting at the seams. And like you said earlier, he is the anti-rich young ruler. Um, it's like, take it, take it. Like, I don't I don't want this to be in the way. And one of the things that's interesting is you'll notice, like, when Jesus tells the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, Zacchaeus, he doesn't say, no, that's not enough. You need to sell everything. Why? Because he sees in Zacchaeus a heart that now puts money in its proper place. Right. It's like Zacchaeus knows the one true treasure is Jesus, and now wealth is actually a means by which he can use and serve the kingdom of God. So Jesus isn't like, okay, you have to get rid of all of it and be poor, because Zacchaeus put it in its proper place um, under Jesus. Right. And I thought that was fascinating, too. Yeah. Yeah, so we're I, witnessing in this story a camel going through the eye of a needle. We are. <laughs> you know? No, we are. We are. And he's not even being pureed first. I'm sorry. That was a reference to <laughs> last week. I love that week. line. I love that line. Yeah, it's a reference to last week. If you, you, have to, you have to listen to last week's episode to find out the idiot things I used to say when I was in Bible college. But um, but this – and then there's another interesting thing here where Zacchaeus says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. The fourfold thing is interesting, folks, because um, under the terms of the law, if somebody had had uh, given you money for safekeeping, for example, if you were in charge of someone's money and it was stolen from you, uh, somebody broke in and stole it out of your house or something like that, you were keeping something for someone and the thief was caught, the responsibility of the thief was to pay back double. That was making restitution. Um, you restored what you'd taken and then that same amount again. 
So for Zacchaeus to say, if I've gotten anything fraudulently, I will restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus, first of all, was was volunteering to go above and beyond the law's requirements in terms of restoring the money that had been stolen kind of thing. But it's also interesting, and I'm just going to, I don't know, this, this is now, this is not, I haven't prepared this, so this is just, I'm off the cuff, which means this may or may not stay in the final cut. But it occurs to me that the time when a four or five-fold restitution was required is when somebody would steal an animal from you and slaughter the animal. Hmm. And that when that was the situation, when I've taken your animal from you and I've killed it, when I've put something to death that belonged to you, then I was to restore that fourfold or fivefold. Um, some of that I think is a practical thing. The fact is that uh, if I took an adult animal from you and killed it and you're like, well, you know, you took a goat, give him a kid so that he can have another goat. <laughs> it's like it or give him a calf so he can have another cow or something like that. It's it takes time to get back to where you were before, so it would be expected that you would do that you would do more. But I often wonder whether there may be something more to that situation, where it's like Zacchaeus was on was acknowledging that by defrauding people of their money this way, that he was in some sense killing them. That there was some that it was more than just defrauding. That he went hey, beyond he their that. lives. Yeah, yeah, he'd wrecked their lives. Yeah. And so he was he was agreeing to meet the higher standard, the standard that if a death took place, if I took something living and killed it, I owe you more. So mm. I don't know. Just theorizing. I, that's really seriously blue skying off the cuff right now. So I don't know. All right. Well, since we're blue skying. Okay. <laughs> time for a Sam have, time for a Sam theory. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't even have a cuff, so there's no off the cuff. Um, but anyway, the the story that bridges between the rich young ruler and Jesus and Zacchaeus. It talks about how Jesus is approaching Jericho, and we know from a, a different gospel that the man's name is Bartimaeus, or at least he's one of them. It says a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. So Jesus is walking up to the walls of, of Jericho on the outside. It says, after hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what it meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling them, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped in his tracks and commanded the guy to be brought to him. And when he asked him, what do you want? He says, I want to, I want to be able to see. I want to recover my sight. And Jesus says, your, your faith has made you well here. You, you can see again. And the, the guy was cured of his blindness. And I thought that was a weird, you know, story because when I was reading this, I was like, man, he's, he's definitely on this track of wanting us to see that the little children and the humble are on, you know, so he throws the rich young ruler in, but then he throws this story in between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And as I was looking at this, one of the things that I started noticing was, and this might be a stretch again, it's a Sam theory, <laughs> is here you have Jesus who's walking up from the Jordan coming toward Jericho, when, when, and he's announced, you know, this is to inaugurate the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of heaven. When's the last time that happened? You'd have to get in your time machine and go back 1,400 years to the days of Joshua. And Joshua comes up to the walls of Jericho and he approaches it, Right. And what is it that brings victory over Jericho is the people shouting. And I mean, they're shouting with everything they've got and the walls come tumbling down. 
And it says Jesus is coming up, approaching Jericho right there, drawing near to it, and this guy's shouting out. And everyone's like, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. And they're trying to get him quieter. And he's shouting out all the louder outside the walls of Jericho. And Jesus says, hold on, <laughs> you know, being being God the Son, this, this is familiar to me. <laughs> um, I remember shouting with this place. And then he brings him a victory. But what you find is in the story of Jericho, what happens is in the city of Jericho, everyone else there is – going to be judged back in the days of Joshua, right? Except for one person who's in the city. There's a, a prostitute named Rahab. If you if you open up and you read Joshua chapter 6, there's a prostitute inside the city, and she is spared, and she's going to be grafted into the, the people of Israel. She's grafted into the royal line. She's going to be in the ancestry of Jesus, um, a prostitute. So the most wicked person, you know, one of the most wicked people in the city, presumably, and God s- chooses her and grafts her in out of the city of Jericho. And then the next chapter, we find that a guy who's got everything, he's he's Achan, he's of the royal line of Judah, He's 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 got power, he's one of the top guys from the best of the tribes could not give up the wealth that God had told him you weren't allowed to have in Jericho. Mm. And so here you have Achan who hides silver and gold and clothing and everything else under his tent, and he values his wealth more than he values God, and the Lord will bring judgment on him. And I was thinking, you know, how how crazy this story is. It's It's actually, I think, echoing back to that beginning when God was inaugurating the kingdom in the days of Joshua – um, where he was going to be king over his people, and, and he goes to Jericho, and he pulls out the most sinful person from the city of Jericho and says, you're my people. And the one who's the ones who've got it all together, the, the one who had all the power, who had all the wealth, who had all the status, can't give up his money, and he faces judgment. And you see that same dynamic at play here. And so I think the story when Jesus is walking up in this Blind beggar is crying out, and they're like, quiet, quiet, and he's shouting louder. You know, when's the last time volume <laughs> outside the walls of Jericho? Sure. You know, it, it, it provokes your mind to think of that. And so what we were saying a minute ago, God always is pulling the outcast and the underdog and the one who goes away empty, the one who is judged, is always the one who feels self-righteous and puts – garbage ahead of the Lord. Yeah. Mm. So the conclusion of the account is here at verses 9 and 10. Um, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. A um, couple things that I think are interesting there. It stuck out to me this phrase, uh, since he also is a son of Abraham. And I thought, my first thought when I read that was, well, of course, he, you know, he's a Jew. It's like, of course he's Jewish. I mean, that's just like a, that's like a no brainer. And then I thought, well, maybe by that, Jesus was making reference to the fact that he's a true son of Abraham. Like, it, it was already, it was a, it was a given that Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. Um, but what Jesus is saying is, hey, he is also a son of Abraham, like he wasn't because his faith wasn't there, but now it's there. 
I don't know if that's a, you know, I mean, because Paul talks a lot about that in Romans. He talks about the fact that we are all Abraham's children by faith. Um, and he talks about the fact that not all Israel is Israel. Um, and he makes a distinction. You know, Paul really draws a sharp line there saying that there are those who are Abraham's children in the flesh. And then there are those who are Abraham's children by faith. And that those are the, that's the true Israel. That's the, God's true people mm-hmm. is the ones who are Abraham's children by faith. And so I thought that because just because the word also stuck out to me, you have any opinion on that? Yeah, I think, you know, like you're talking about, the scriptures say that all who have been baptized into Christ are children of Abraham. They're sons of Abraham. And so there's definitely that sense of it. But also, you know, you have a crowd that's looking at him who's saying, you know, he's not a true Jew. He's not, he's not one of us. And I think so there might be, you know, the, the meaning where it's prophetically saying you are a child of God. You're, you're, you're saved. You have authentic faith. But, it's also a rebuke to all those that are sitting there grumbling and calling him a traitor and everything else. You know, they would have said, "Hey, salvation, God's favor has come upon this house that you're you're all grumbling about." He is a son of Abraham. Yeah. And so it would have been a rebuke for them for saying, you know, he's not a a yeah. real Jew, he's a traitor. And then uh verse 10 for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost, you know. That makes me calls to mind um, Ezekiel, uh, which is – Ezekiel, by the way, is a very cool book. If you've not read Ezekiel, uh, there are some things in Ezekiel. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Sam choking to death back there now. There are some things in Ezekiel that when you read them, you're going to be like, what in the world was Ezekiel smoking? Um, and, and Some things. That might be an understatement. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to say – Sometime we should do a study of Ezekiel, Sam, just because that's just one of the great fun books in the Old Testament. But <laughs> there are times in Ezekiel where God speaks rather plainly. And uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord is comes to Ezekiel and he says that he wants him to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And it, some of the verses, for example, verse uh, – well, I'll just read a couple of selected verses here. He says, a shepherd, Ah, shepherds of Israel – who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? And he goes on to tell them how they've not been taking care of the sheep well enough. And then he talks about verse 5, so they were scattered, the sheep, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. And put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. It's like that prophecy back in Ezekiel, I think about that every time I see Jesus saying anything like this, like the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. It's like when God spoke out to the shepherds of Israel, those that that should have been looking after 
the his people and telling them, you're not doing it. So you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to come seek the sheep. I'm going to take care of the sheep. I just think about that prophecy in that passage. Every time I see Jesus say something like this, it's like Jesus is saying, I am fulfilling the prophecy we made to his, through Ezekiel. You're not pursuing. You're not taking care of the sheep. So I'm going to come do it. Mm-hmm. My, my favorite word in that expression is seek. Yeah. Because I, I remember when I was when I was first coming to faith, and I mean, I was getting invitations, and people were you know trying to get me to make decisions, and and I would remember thinking like you know I I really do I want to know Jesus and I want to draw nearer to God, but you know give me give me some space, and eventually I'll clean myself up, and you know at that point um you know he'll want me because right now there's no way he could want me as I am I'm not ready to start you know giving up things in my life there's things that I value more. And, you know, I can look back in retrospect and look at the events in my life and look at how he began ripping idols out of my hand. <laughs> you know, that wasn't even entirely my decision. Right. But just through circumstances in life, you know, wealth. <laughs> All right, I'll take that from you. Um, relationships crumbling and everything else and all the places where I could find a place to stand, they all turned to sand. And, you know, I, eventually I was left with no other option <laughs> but him, it felt like. And I can look back now and I can see that was entirely what, you know, what they call the hounds of heaven. You know, he was seeking after me. He was chasing after me. And, you know, in those seasons I was thinking, you know, what in the world? It was hard. But in retrospect, I can see, you know, that was him seeking me yeah. to save me. Um, and that's the heart of God. He's, all, you know, it's not just that he's, you know, okay, salvation's available. Come and get it if you want it. You know, he's he seeks his people. Yeah. And so, if you've got circumstances going on in your life right now, you know, where where you get this feeling that he's nudging you to to draw near to him, don't ignore it. You know that he might be seeking you out through those very circumstances. That's what he did with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of messages um, about Zacchaeus over the years, and one of the things I have not heard much or at all is somebody who talked about what happened to Zacchaeus after this. And so I did a little reading, you know, looked around on some of the church fathers and history collections, and what about Zacchaeus? And what we know about Zacchaeus is that he became a devoted follower of Jesus, and we're really pretty sure that he went on to become a bishop, actually, in charge of a church at Caesarea, and that um, Zacchaeus died because Annas, the father of Caiaphas, the high priest, um, Annas was the high priest and then was such a bad dude that uh, they told him he couldn't be high priest anymore, and he made his son-in-law Caiaphas the high priest and then just proceeded to pull the strings from from behind. (laughs) The same Annas who ordered the killing of James, the half-brother of Jesus and the author of the book of James, that Annas ordered ordered Zacchaeus to be stoned. Mm -hmm. And that Zacchaeus, again, according to tradition, but I did find this in a couple of different sources, that Zacchaeus asked that after they stoned him, if they would bury the stones with him because Zacchaeus thought that it was an honor to be stoned for the name of Christ. I thought that was pretty cool. 
<laughs> that's pretty cool. I know. That's a guy who's – think about that, that his treasure goes from being all this money and everything else to, to where his treasure would be the very stones that kill him for right. the sake of Christ. I mean yeah. that's liberty. Yeah. That's liberty. It is. It is. Well, it's also a good word, and I think it's the one that we're going to end on. Folks, I do hope that you have enjoyed your time with us and this uh, conversation about the story of Zacchaeus, that uh, you've been able to get a lot from it. I also hope that uh, you're preparing your hearts for Easter Sunday. Um, If you are listening to this podcast uh, and you don't have a church that you call home and you live in the greater Fort Lauderdale area down here in southeast Florida – I invite you most earnestly to please come out and join us at 9 and 11 o'clock, either one, one or the other, uh, on Sunday morning uh, for Easter Sunday services at Rio Vista Church. Uh, We would love to see you there. Um, It just would be such a a great thing to know that uh, somebody heard us talking on the podcast and said, I want to come check out what these crazy people are doing (laughs) at Rio Vista (laughs) Church. Um, But it's a church where you will find the Word of God taught plainly. Um, you're going to find out that uh, we love the Lord and we love the people that are a part of our community. Uh, it is a great one. So uh, you can find out uh, directions to the church and information about where you can park and all these other things about child care on Sunday mornings and whatnot. All that information is available on our website, which is riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. Uh, that's also where you can find all the back episodes of this Out of Water podcast. Uh, and if you ha- would like to, if you if you enjoy this podcast and you thought, gee, I'd, I'd, I would enjoy listening to some other episodes, uh, let me make let me make a recommendation to you that uh, you go back in time. It was recorded two years ago, but it's still there in the archives of the podcast, regardless of where you find it. Episodes forty five through forty eight, forty five, six, seven, and eight. Um, Sam and I did a, a series of broadcasts that we called a guided tour of holy week which walks you through the week that jesus had uh, leading up to his death on the cross and then resurrection sunday Um, it's a really good way to kind of get your get your mind around what's going on and get your heart in the right place Um, so if you want to you can find that uh, on our website at riovistachurch.com slash out of water you can also find it on apple podcasts google podcasts or spotify um, just search for a guided tour of Holy Week or search for episodes, episode 45, uh, and then there's those four episodes after that. Um, I hope that you take advantage of that. Sam and I will be back next week as we kick off our study in the Gospel of Mark. That's going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.